Father, this morning we just come to you, Father. We need to hear from you. Our hearts, our spirits need to be open to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Our minds need to understand what you are telling us. For no one else has the words of life except you. Nobody's word has power except your words, O Lord. And there is salvation found in no other name but your name, O Lord Jesus. You have exalted your word above all your name. And this morning, help us too, Lord. Me, as I bring the word, and all of us as we listen, to lift your word above everything else, O Lord. Everything else. We put down our own understanding. We put down our own ideas, received or perceived ideas. We put down our feelings. We just open ourselves to your word, O Father. Your word. Help us to hear, understand and believe. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. If you were there last Sunday and if you were in there, it's all available on our website. I would always, always request you, keep listening over. One time you hear in the church is not enough. We need to keep listening over and over and over the messages that are preached. Simply because you don't have time on your hands. If everybody could read and understand the Bible, God wouldn't put teachers in the kingdom of God. The very reason teachers are put in the kingdom of God. And the word of God says those who teach are to be given double the honor from all the others in the ministry is because teaching is given to specific people. And their job is to just to learn, study, receive the revelation and teach it. And in one hearing, you won't get it all. As you will keep listening over and over again, God will speak to you. Even the letters from which we preach, which has become the word of God, were sermons that were written and sent to the church. And you know, all our life we are meditating on the same sermons of Paul, which are the epistles of James or Peter, over and over. And all these years, for me especially, 35 years later, I still haven't been able to figure out some of those letters. So don't everything in one hearing, we get it all. Now go back and listen over and over again. So last Sunday we looked on foundations, how important foundations are. And if our foundations are wrong, then Psalm 11 and verse 3 says this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's exactly what's happening in the Christian world. You would look at nations which are so-called Christian nations, which supposedly majority Christian populations and laws being passed, which is unthinkable. Even Gentile nations wouldn't pass laws like that. Late-term abortion, like, like even when the baby is being born, the mother could change her mind and decide to kill it. Laws are being passed, which is why? Because foundations were destroyed. And the pastors who actually believe are true, they're standing there helpless, unable to change the narrative because it's a false Christianity that is being projected. So you need to understand if our foundations are wrong and destroyed, we will also be destroyed. 
So it's very, very important. Every structured strength is based on its foundations. You can always remodel your house, but your foundations are wrong. There's nothing. The whole thing will collapse. So that's what we were looking at. And we saw the first two are the most important. The first two, that is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And we also saw last Sunday that when you use the word repent, the first time it is mentioned in the Bible, repent, is mentioned with God and not with man. By the time Noah's generation came, the tenth generation after creation, ten symbolizing always judgment, evaluation in God's word. When it came to the tenth generation, scripture says every thought, every imagination of man was wicked, evil, God was Grieved, he repented that he made man. He repented, we made, he made man. And he grieved. We understand what it is, because we, when you become parents, you will understand what it is. Let us imagine your, your son or your daughter walks around like a gunda, is absolutely evil, doing things unimaginable. Actually parents say, I wish I had never given birth to this. That's exactly what God is saying. I wish I had not created man. I wish. He repented. He created man. And he grieved in his heart. And then we see the third stage. He took incredible action. He cut it off. He cut it off. He cut that generation, that entire humanity off, saving just eight people who were found righteous in his eyes. So the foundation has to be true. Repentance has godly sorrow and there is action that follows. Then only you move forward. And often people look back and you will see one of the reasons we are not able to move forward with God is because our repentance is not deep enough. And we are stuck at stage one of our salvation itself. And we see this throughout scripture. People often confuse, because you know with repentance, people always confuse Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. And well-meaning, good pastors also bring more confusion. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So immediately they come across and in many ways misinterpret scripture saying, you know, in salvation there is no work you do. It's entirely the work of God. Which is true, the second part, when God saves, there is no work of mine. But in genuine repentance, there is always work. And if your repentance does not have that work that is associated with repentance, which is not your salvation. Salvation comes when you have faith towards God. But in the first stage, when you repent from dead works, there is work involved. It often, very often demands work from the man or the woman or the child who is repenting. And that is the proof, actually, that your repentance is from the heart and it is not a mental ascent to an idea you heard. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, he stood up and he said, Half my wealth I will sell and give it to the poor. And from all who I have taken, I will give four times over. That's work. And Jesus said, salvation has come into this house today. He's taking action. His repentance is genuine because it is coming from his heart. 
When John the Baptist started preaching, the kingdom of God begins with him. He is the forerunner. He is the one who proclaims the message of the kingdom. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. People heard the message, and you will see in Matthew 3.8. Yeah. Luke 3.8, he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He said, bear fruit. Your repentance has to be seen. And you will see in verse 10, the people actually ask him the questions. The people ask him, what shall we do then? And he gives a whole list according to each one one who is questioning. He says, this is what you need to do. Soldier, this is what you need to do. Tax collector, this is what you need to do. Because repentance always has works. Always has works. These are all actions that go with repentance. That does not save you. For salvation to take place, step two has to be there. One has to turn in faith to God. The works that accompany repentance is our work. But faith in God is depending entirely on the work of God, the work of Christ on the cross. One without the other will not work. If you try to turn to God without repentance, it does not work. You just change religion. If you try to repent without turning to God in faith, you will actually just break yourself under the pressure because you will never feel that you are freed from the law. Therefore, take drastic action in repentance like God did in Noah's generation, like Zacchaeus did. Often we blame God for not moving in our life. But God says, you have not moved in your repentance. Let me show you first, before we go to faith towards God, let me show you patterns from the Old Testament. Like I always say, doctrine is in the New Testament. Examples, when you, God teaches you through the Old Testament stories. We will see in the book of Judges, you see this cycle. And the people are Crying under bondage in Judges 6 and verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The oppression of the enemy because of sin. And they were crying out to God. Sin brings bondage. Bondage brings oppression. And you cry out to God. And they are crying out to God. We know the story. That's when God comes to. Gideon, sitting in a threshing, not threshing, sorry, what do you call it? Wine press. God speaks to him. But you know, God asks him two things to do. Let's forget about, we get all excited by mighty warrior and all, forget all that. Let's leave all that. Let's look at God asks him two things to do. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. Now it came to pass the same night the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. He asked him to do two things. One, cut down. Second, build something else. 
Okay? Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. He says, I don't want you to offer the first bull, second bull first. First, I want to cut down something. What is that you have to cut down? You have to cut down the altar of Baal in front of your father's house and the Asherah pole which is there. Cut it down. Then, build an altar to the Lord on this rock in the proper arrangement. Remember, as Israelites have prayed, there is order in God's kingdom. A lot of people, because what is happening now today is we are confusing human rights and whatever rights with order. You cannot bring human rights issues into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not an issue about rights. It's an about an order. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal. They don't fight for rights. They come under order. And in that order, the Father comes first. And the Son comes second. Therefore, when the Son comes, He will only talk about the Father. The Holy Spirit comes third. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit comes, He only speaks about the Son and the Father because there is order. This is not about equality. This is not about rights. Get concepts very, very clear. So God says, cut down, build up. That's how salvation takes place. The problem is so many are trying to build an altar to God without cutting down the altar of Baal. So actually, if you look into their lives, there are two altars in the spiritual realm standing side by side, Baals and Yahweh's. And they're crying out for God for deliverance. God says, he has access into your life. Because that altar is still there. And until you cut it down, your life will be always like this. Cut it down. Baal and Yahweh. You're compromised, he says. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Another young prophet, God is telling him. Then the Lord put his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. He says, before you plant, uproot. Uproot. Uproot what is not of me, pull it out, then you plant. Before you build, pull down. That is the way, always. Don't try to plant along with the stairs of the enemy. Repentance is where the axis laid to the root. It's pulled out. Then you plant. You have to. And I have to, we have to continuously had God shows us things in our life. Break it down. Don't negotiate with it. Do not negotiate with the devil. If you don't break it down, you cannot build. If you do not uproot, you cannot plant. I know it's not easy for many of you because of where you come from. You come from families that don't believe. And you are caught in so many ways like Gideon. Gideon believes in Yahweh, but the father has an altar to the Baal. A lot of, lot of people in many nations are caught like that. Mighty warrior, God may speak over you, but when you go home, you tremble. 
Gideon was fearful. Let's be very clear about it. But, scripture says in Judges 6.27, Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Do it by night. When they are all sleeping, throw all those things from your room. Be a Gideon. Not mighty warrior, fearful warrior. There are a lot of things you can quietly do. Do without them even knowing. Quietly. In your space. Every every house you have a little space. No? In your space. Make it idle free. Bal free. Nahi to o din mein bal bal nahi bachega. Ask God. What are the things you want me to pull down? What do you want to cut down? Ask God, am I with my flesh building an altar to Baal? And with my spirit an altar to Yahweh? To pursue mammon? And to follow God at the same time? Listening with one ear to the gospel of prosperity? And to the other, the gospel of holiness? Of course you'll be torn apart. Cutting down one without building other, it will not work only make you miserable. You will finally give in to one or the other and it is always easier to give in to Baal. And most people ultimately give in to Baal. If naturally every man when he has to make this choice is inclined to go towards Yahweh, then why did Israel go that way? Why didn't by the end of the generation Jesus tells Laodicea, you are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. Because naturally you will go that way. That's the way the flesh goes. It is automatic. You go that way. Very few will break it and go that way. So God says, be radical in your repentance. Real, real radical in your repentance. But let me tell you, that does not mean you are saved. If you haven't built the other one, you are not saved. Pulling down is one thing. Building up is another thing. You can pull down. Repentance from dead works doesn't save anybody. Actually, non-believers sometimes repent better than us. Radically change their life. Honestly, I'm telling you, when they realize the error of their ways, they radically change their ways. But there is no salvation in this because they do not turn to Jesus. Because only in the name of Jesus, there is salvation. Look at the prime example, beautiful example in the Bible where repentance from dead works doesn't save you. See it in Matthew 27. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Repented himself. Brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned. In that I have betrayed the innocent blood. So he repented. He confessed. And verse 5. And he cast on the pieces of silver. In many ways he made restitution. You gave me the money. I don't want the money. Here, take your money back. And then he went and hanged himself. He didn't turn to Christ. So the devil took him. Because he had no faith to turn to God. 
Why didn't he have the faith to turn to God even though he walked with Jesus for three and a half years? Because though outwardly everybody thought he had an altar before Yahweh, inside the altar was towards Baal. And Baal took him at the end. Understand that. Be very careful. Foundation one must be followed by foundation two. When God shakes these two, the most important are these two. Can I have that? That uh, No. I want you to make it very, very clear. When God is, this is the way you should look at it. Okay? This is stone one. This is stone two. Three, four, five, six is different. These two are the most important. Scripture has promised and God is doing it. He says judgment begins in the house of God and he says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Because you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So when everything is shaken, you will realize what is of the kingdom and what is not of the kingdom. And these two are the most important. Because if you go wrong here, you are eternally doomed. It doesn't matter so much here. 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 But this too is non-negotiable for your salvation. It is. It is. The thief on one side didn't get baptized. But he made to heaven. Because he repented. He's innocent. We are not. Lord, when you come to your kingdom, will you remember me? Jesus said definitely. Definitely. Baptisms. I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your loss. Your loss. Does that keep you out of heaven? No. But you will be miserable when you reach heaven, knowing what you missed. Laying of hands. Now the problem is, if you don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then how do you believe in the laying of hands? Your laws. In Romans 1.11, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts that you may be established. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, scripture says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. You don't believe in it, you lose. And if you are in ministry, you struggle even more. You receive a gift, you need a gift, you receive a gift by laying of hands and you fan it to flames. And it's incredible. Proverbs 18 verse 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Daniel had a gift, took him before kings. Joseph had a gift, took him before the king. You can look at it in the Old Testament carnal way, Saul saying, oh, how do we go? The donkeys are lost. How do we go to the prophet? We don't have a gift to give. There is a spiritual side of it. The gift. You know, when I go to all these places and other nations and pastors conference, especially at the last day, they all come and I think, you know, healing or something. What do you want me to pray for? They will all say, lay hands and pray for the spirit of revelation. 
That's what they all ask. That's why every time I go, I come capless. My caps go. One of the young pastors will say, can I have your cap? I said, what? We know there is an anointing on it. So take it. The only thing they want is that they realize you have something which we want. You have something. You teach. We want that gift. Would you lay hands upon us and pray that we receive that? Okay? You don't believe, you lose. Then it goes to the resurrection of the dead. How do you overcome the resurrection of the dead? Like Abraham did in Hebrews 11, scripture says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative manner. Only when you, see, when you approach death, your theology will start falling into place. Will want to believe in the resurrection of the dead. What about eternal judgment? You don't believe in those things. One and two is crucial. You don't believe in those things. Like we were telling yesterday, don't worry. When the trumpet blows, everybody's doctrine about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment will be clear. No doubts. Everybody will have only one doctrine that day. Till then, God says, you fight. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, scripture says, oh, not 2, 8, 4, 8, 4, 8, 4, 8, Timothy, Paul says, I know what is reserved for me. What is that? Ah, so he went through judgment, right? While he's living. A crown of righteous which Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also I who have, all those who love is appearing. He says, if you don't have belief in eternal judgment, what are you expecting? But the key, okay, leaves three, four, five, six. Focus on one and two. And the key, I would say, is two. Not even repentance, because in all religions there is repentance. But only in Christianity there is faith towards the one who can save. And this will define our eternity. The stone number two in foundations in Hebrews 6 will define our eternity. Okay? Faith towards God. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith towards God. That's how you are saved. That's the only way you can be saved. When I come to God, remember, my first problem is not my today or my tomorrow. My first problem was my yesterday. Unlike man, when you go to God, your problem is not your present or your future. Your problem is your past. Because your sins stare in your face before a holy God. Okay? Faith towards God. Remember this. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. I tell this is salvation in my cross. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible words. Okay. The first thing I need is, I need forgiveness for my sins. I need remission for my sins. Then only I can have peace with God. And Acts chapter 5, verse 31 says, 
Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Remember, repentance is a gift. He gives repentance and those who repent, forgiveness of sins. So the first thing I appropriate if you go back to Romans 5, 1 is by faith I have peace with God. Mafi mila. Or papsap dur ho gaya. It's been removed. I have peace with God. It's the first thing, faith towards God. You're not looking at any of your good works. You're not trying to be a fool like that. Uh, um, no, sorry, the Pharisee trying to God, look, I do, 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 do. Because when you go to a criminal court, you never try to talk your merits. Because the law only wants to see where you failed. So the only thing you will appeal before God is for mercy. And that's the first thing faith does. You have peace with God by faith. By faith. Remember, faith, by faith, the first thing you and I, that's the first sign of salvation. You have peace with God. But it has to be not like repentance also. It's from the heart. It cannot be from the head. It has to be from the heart. In Romans 10.10, scripture says, Romans, for with the heart, one believes, not with the head. A lot of head-high Christians are there. Plenty of heady Christians. They understand scripture. They will give you a good sermon on salvation also, but they are not saved. Because they haven't believed with their heart. It's a heart faith. If true repentance is from the heart, true faith for salvation is also from the heart. Also from the heart. That's what Romans 5, 1 and 2 is trying to say. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. It's grace that saves. First, repentance, you are forgiven. Then by grace, you are saved. And it's faith that makes it possible, but grace saves you. Let me tell you. When you are flying out of your country, when you go to the airport, okay, when you go to the airport, once you get your boarding pass, you go through security. That guy will make you stand like this, okay, and then he will put your uh, boarding pass under that scanner and it will show your name, everything over there. He will check you and if he's satisfied you are safe, he will click accept, meaning you have been given access to go. Then you go to immigration if you're flying. That guy will ask you to stare into the camera and, and he will take your passport. He will scan it. All your details comes upon his screen. He also goes through that to see there is no block against your name. And if he clicks accept, you are given access to go to your plane. By freight, we have access to the grace of God. Today's message title is Access Granted. Without faith, nobody has access to the grace of God. Absolutely no access to the grace of God. By faith, we have access into this grace in which we stand. And it's the grace of God that saves from the first day till the last day. Its entire gospel is called the gospel of grace. It's faith that brings peace. It is faith that gives access to the very throne room of grace. 
This is the key. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the of uh, grace to help in the time of need. How do you come boldly? By faith. How do you have that boldness in your faith? Because you are not coming on your merit. You are coming only based on his work. That's why faith gives boldness. If I have to come to God boldly on my work, nobody will have boldness. Nobody will have boldness. Nobody will have boldness. Where does this boldness come? Why does God say, come, let us go boldly? Why? Because of Jesus. He is the high priest. It is through him that we go. That is the only way. So this is the problem. This is the end of man. And righteous people don't like this way. Because all your good deeds mean nothing there. Before or after. You want access into the throne room of grace, that royal audience, you can only come by faith. And faith in God, in Christ, no other way. And grace is the power of God, is the power of the Holy Spirit, that is grace. Everything that happens over here is because of grace. We looked at yesterday, where we were looking at, uh, at the men's meeting, we said about the arm of the Lord worked salvation. And we see from Isaiah, the arm of the Lord is Jesus Christ. There is this arm, and then there is this arm used as strength to lift something. What flows through that arm is the power of the Holy Spirit. The arm of the Lord is Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit that flows through that arm is what saves us. And grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. And God says, do you know you have access to God's own power through faith? Only through faith. Nothing else. And I'm telling you, it's a very, very daily humbling experience. Because every time you want access to God, you have to put everything else away. All your theology, all your education, all your good works, everything. When you're having access into God, the only thing first you have to realize is, Oh Lord, I goofed up yesterday. Because the Holy Spirit will remind you. Therefore, by faith, You receive first what? Mercy. And then you find access to grace. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. That's why the order over there. That's why I said in everything, always look for God's order. God has an order. Don't try to circumvent order and jump for grace. God says mercy first. Mercy first. Mercy. Because the problem is we are all civil rights proponents and we'll say grace is my right. God says wait a second. It's not your right. Freely given. Nobody earned it. Actually, you don't deserve it. But I give it freely. Come through the right door. The doorway of mercy. Faith in God gives us access to the very power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says. As is divine power, the grace of God has given to us All things that pertain to life. Everything that you need for this life. God ordained life. Whatever you and I need. It's already been provided. This divine power. The Holy Spirit provides for you. Not only what we need for life. And also godliness. But how do you? Through the knowledge of him. Who has has called us. 
by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That's this. That's it. He says, how do you get that? Through this. The word of God. There's no other way. That you may be partakers of the divine nature. That's how Jesus walked. He says, you can partake of God's divine nature. Walk like Jesus walked. How did he, what did he have in his hand most of the time? Nothing. Did he lack anything? Nothing. Did he live a godly life? Absolutely. How did he? Through grace. And he says, you can too. You can do the promises of God. This is the word of grace. And if you look at it, what does the devil keep you from? From the word. You go into any church or almost any church, if you have a three hour service or a two hour service, how much is the word? Koncham. Right? That's where all the promises lie. Our worship has no meaning without the word. Our prayer has no meaning without the word. Our preaching has no meaning without the word. Because it is through the word which are the promises of God, we appropriate that power that gives us everything to live a life of victory and the needs we have in this life to achieve it. It's through grace. Instead, we are on a mad rush for everything because we think that will take care of us. And scripture says no. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 3. Therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Who was bearing witnesses to the word of his his grace. They stayed a long time. And they kept on preaching. What was they preaching? The word of his grace. And in chapter 20 and verse 32. So now brethren I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. If you listen to all this word but you are not receiving any grace. We still haven't got it because faith towards God gives you access to the throne room of grace. And all the grace we need is contained in the word of God because that's where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And when you come there, God says access granted. That's why Hebrews 3, 1 says, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his doesn't say the power of his word. But the word of his power. The power is contained in the, in the word. Word of his power. Not power of his word. If it is power of the word. Then my word can have power. Anything I can say can have power. God says no. When you speak my word. Then only it will have power. Because it is the word of his power. That's why God did not say, think right. He says, meditate upon my word day and night and do not let it depart from your mouth because my word is the word of my my power. But be very, very careful. The end goal is not faith. The end goal is grace. Faith gives me access to grace that saves me from the past it gives me the power to stay in Christ in the present. When you look into the future, grace gives me the hope of glory. That's what Paul preached. 
This is where we have to be very, very, very careful. Because one of the things which the Lord taught me is the devil does not just manipulate faith. He manipulates grace. He uses mammon to replace grace. How does things happen in this world? With? How does things happen in the God's kingdom? With? Ah, We always thought faith. Is it not faith through grace? What he does is he has substituted mammon for grace very subtly through the pulpit. So now that we've preached faith to get mammon instead of getting grace. We got in, get caught in the drop. Name it, claim it, have it. What is all about? Mammon. What are we using? Faith. But faith was supposed to give us access to? So what did he do? He quietly talked about faith, 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 faith. But changed the labels. Instead of grace, mammon. You ended up with Baal. So true faith gives access not to money, but grace. God may throw in a few coins in between or a lot, but that is not what you're looking at. You're looking for grace. And you know what? It becomes very difficult to change the mindset of a people who have been trained and taught faith into the material instead of into grace. God may add material often, but that is not the prime motive. The prime motive is grace. So please remember, the second thing which you need to know about true faith is that it is in the heart. With the heart, a man believes. It speaks. It speaks. Your words will show you whether you believe or not. Not when you are confessing in church, but when you are outside church. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22 and 23, And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he... Did you see? I say to you, whoever says to this mountain and believes what he says, he will have whatever he says. He says you believe in your heart. What comes out of your mouth should be connected with what you believe. And what you believe should be connected with what God has spoken. So there is the word, there is belief, and there is confession. Belief comes first. Proof is your language. In Psalm 116 and verse 10, I believe, therefore I spoke. Therefore I am greatly afflicted. Meaning if you're living in the midst of unbelievers, you believe and you speak, you will be afflicted. Look at Romans 10. Where that's why I always counsel you when you come in smaller groups to the church office. I always tell you because of the backgrounds almost everybody has come from. When God speaks something to you, be very careful about whom you share it with. Not even your parents if they don't really believe. The biggest goof of Joseph did was to go open his big mouth before his brothers who did not believe. And they said, really dreamer? This is what you think? Let's see what will come of your dream. Nobody encouraged him with his dream. They decided to destroy his dream. 
It's the same thing Hezekiah does. Babylon in envoys come. He says, please come and see all the treasures of the temple. God says, what did you do? What did you do? You should say what you believe. But don't say it before the wrong crowd. Don't say it before the wrong crowd. When you share something which God has spoken to you, be very careful you share it with people who really trust God, believe God, and have experience like that. In Romans 10, verses 6 to 10, but righteousness of faith speaks this way. It speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from all. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Remember, faith speaks. The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. In your heart, in your mouth. Out of the heart, it should come. Heart and mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Remember when it is true faith, faith towards God, what happens is your heart and your words will tally. And it doesn't happen automatically. That's why God says what you need to do is meditate upon my word until your heart is filled with my word and your faith will arise. You can't do both things at the same day. You cannot have the altar of Baal and the altar of Yahweh. Listening to the word of God and listening to all the junk in the world. I'm not talking about studies. Other than studies. Listening to junk. And God says, how is it going to work? Your confession will change. That is what Jesus was teaching his disciples each day. And he was trying to teach in parables and illustrations. And he taught and he showed and practicals. He was a very good teacher, okay? In Mark chapter 4, after, let's see him teaching. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He simplified to his disciples in a way where they could understand it, hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his Disciples, explain. Very, very good teacher, okay? A lot of patience with his disciples. In Matthew 13, 51, same incident, Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? That's what children do in the classroom. Sir, have you understood everything? Yes, sir, because they just want to get out. Exam comes, Lord, I didn't understand anything. They will even turn around and say, you never taught it. Then you need witnesses from the class. Did I teach this? Yes, sir. One will say, sir, thank you. At least I have one witness. Yes, Lord. They said they understood. Okay. Yes. Jesus said, okay. Go back to Mark. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? Question is, How did he know they had no faith? Verse 38. 
they woke him and says, teacher, don't you know? You don't you care that we are perishing? What? Is that the language of faith? No. They just spoke what was in their heart. It had nothing to do with what he had taught them for days. That's exactly what we do. Lord, what are you doing? Don't you care that I am perishing? There's no language there. There's a total disconnect. In the midst of the storm, they spoke what they actually believed. That's why God sends storms into our lives so that we will know what we believe. Not to condemn us, it's to say that we will change, change what we've been meditating on. Look at the most famous example. In the old covenant. One of the most famous examples. Genesis chapter 22 verse 3. Okay. Can we go there? Abraham arose. This is when God says take your son. Your only son. Three day journey. Offer him as a sacrifice. So Abraham arose early in the morning. Saddled his donkey. Took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then. And Abraham said to his young men. Stay here with the donkey. The lad. And I will go yonder. Worship. And we will come back to you. What did Abraham say? What did God say? Take your son, offering as a sacrifice. What did he say? We will go worship and we will come back. Did he say? We will? We will? Do you saw? He believed. Even if he killed his son, his son would rise from the back. We are coming back. You see, his faith has risen now to that point where he trusts God. You said... Through my seed, Isaac, all nations shall be. And you are asking me to offer him. I believe even if I kill him, he will rise back. We will come back. Do you see his words? Verse 9 and 10 is action. 9 and 10 is action. They came to the place. Abraham built an altar, placed the wood. Everything is there. Okay, There is heart. There is confession. There is action. He takes the altar, puts the wood, ties his son, lifts the knife. Then God says, enough, 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 enough. That's enough. But before it all, he confessed what he believed. We will come back. In Hebrews 11, verse 17 and 19, the verse portion we looked earlier, that is what he was saying. He figuratively believed, actually, he would receive him back from the dead. That is where grace comes. The power of the Holy Spirit comes in, okay? Our situation is not what is real. What is real is what God has spoken to us. Not the general word of God, but God has spoken to us about our situation. That's why we have to meditate upon the word of God. When you meditate upon the word of God, the Holy Spirit will take your spirit and give you a promise. You hang on to that promise with your dear life and say, I believe. Nobody may believe around you. Your brothers may not believe. Your master and mistress may not believe. All the prisoners in the jail will not believe, but you believe because he spoke. That's what scripture says. He put fetters on his feet and chains on his neck and sent him into Egypt until the iron entered into his soul, whether till the word of God proved him till it came true. The question is, God will take you to that level if you walk this faith so that you will believe ultimately, Lord, truly your word is exalted above everything. What you say happens. You have spoken and it will come. And it begins with your salvation. And faith is the only thing that will give you access to that grace. 
But faith has to be cultivated. It doesn't grow in a vacuum. Faith has to be cultivated. And anybody who cultivates, you don't do it like weeds. If you want to cultivate, you know it needs this proper environment. To Joshua, in chapter 1, verse say, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But for that, what you need to do, you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Meditate, do, confess. Three things. Meditate on my word, do my word, confess my word. Three things. Not one alone. Confess my word and do something else. That's not what he's talking about. He says, meditate upon my word, do my word, and speak my word. And he says, it will always make a way for you. Because grace will flow into your life. The power of the Holy Spirit is still there in the old covenant, in the new covenant. That power will flow into your life. That power will make, remove the hurdles in your life. And then they, Jericho falls, and scripture says Jericho fell by faith. And then they went after a little town called Ai, and they all got beaten up very badly. Now listen to Joshua in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought these people over Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns it back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off from our name. You know how far he went? He went into the present, to the future and the distant future also. God, in today's language, said that shut up and get up. What are you talking If you look at verse 6, God said, get up, why do you lie on your face? If you look at verse 6, I want you to look at verse 6, okay? Joshua tore his clothes along with the elders. And they're all lying from morning to evening. What a humbling picture. If anybody were to walk, oh, they're really humble God's servants. But you have to check a man's humility connected with what God has spoken. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What has your confession got to do with what I have spoken? You're not humble. Don't confuse these things. Humility is when you bend your knee before the word of God, not before your circumstances. God's word and your posture should tally. Joshua, do you think you're humble? No. You have exalted your experience about the word of God. Your feelings about the word of God. And you think because you're lying in sackcloths, you're so humble. And God should listen to your prayers. God says, shut up and get up. I don't want to see you like this. I don't want to hear your words. Our response should be, Lord, you are right. You are true to your promises. Your word never fails. You told me very specifically, no man will be able to stand before me. As you were with Moses, I will be with you. So if I have fallen before man, there is something wrong with me, not with what you have spoken. Let me check where did I go wrong. Your promise, 
And what happened? Doesn't tally. Your promise is forever true. It's yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You have exalted your word above your name. And instead of people falling before me, I have fell before them. Then the problem is with me, not with your word. That's how you cross-examine yourself. Instead, you will see in verse 7, 7, what it did was he shifted the blame to God like we do. He shifted. You? Why did you bring us here? Please understand this. Scriptural true humility is not in posture. It is seen in faith. Grace is given only to the humble. Do you know the first time when God speaks, the righteous, the just shall live by faith is not in the New Testament. It is first time in the Old Testament. What did he actually say, you know, from Habakkuk 2.4? Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall walk in faith. He is lying on his face, crying to God, and God says, behold the proud. His soul is not upright with him. He is questioning my word about his experience. Please don't think our posture, our tears, our sackcloth, our ashes make any difference to God unless our word and our heart and our confession tallies. Then God says you're humble because you're standing alone on my word. Nobody believes you. Yet you're humble. You humbled yourself before my word. You didn't believe the report of man. You did not report your, believe the circumstances. You still believed my word. You are truly a humble person. Pride and faith are opposites. Humility and faith goes hand in hand. Pride and unbelief goes hand in hand. What is pride actually is when you lift either your opinion or your feelings or circumstances above the word of God, that is called pride. That is pride. And a lot of people think in the terms of the world and think we are humble. God says you are not humble. You are proud. Why? Because you always contradict my word. So there was a bunch of stiff-necked, proud 600,000 men who came out of Israel. It didn't matter what God did for them. The next question is, can God do this? Can God do this? God says, you think these guys are humble. You think 400 years of slavery would make these people humble. He says, no, bondage doesn't make man humble. Whips don't make man humble. Hard labor doesn't make man humble. Only the Holy Spirit can make you humble. When you turn in repentance to God, and put your trust in God and in his word alone, God says, you are humble. You are humble. Why don't people spend time with the word? Do you realize why people actually don't spend time with the word? Because they are proud. Not because of any other reason. All the rest are excuses. The real reason, deep into the core of your heart, if you search, God will tell you the reason you don't meditate upon my word day and night. You don't spend time with my word. is because you are proud. I was telling my people who came to the meeting, I was telling that, no? That uh, sister who called from Israel, she called on a Tuesday and uh, Monday, that is six days. She asked for Nepali messages because she doesn't understand English or this thing. And I started going back into the old ones. Finally, I asked Sammy, go to the older ones also. Because in six days, she finished 36 teachings, which each teaching is one and a half hours to two hours, 15 minutes, or pastor's conference. 
She said, I, I said, why do you need more? She said, I finished them all. I'm hungry for more. Can you imagine? Around 50 hours of teaching. I said, how do you do that? She said, I am a caregiver. All I do is that listen to the message day in and day out while I'm working. Because this, I'm 60, but this is what I was waiting for. And he says, I realize everything I built my life on is false. Christianity. I have to change from the scratch everything. The Lord is convicting me. One of the reasons we are not hungry for the word is because of the fact we are really proud. We really, really think we can make it without his word and make it without his grace. We really think, most Christians really think they can make it without his, without him. Because if you really, really think I cannot make it without you, it will immediately show in your word life. How hungry you are for the word. And every opportunity, every technology God has given you, you will use it to tune your mind to the word of God. It will show in your word. It will show in your prayer. It will show grace flowing into you. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. You shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna. Which you did not know or did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did he do first? Remember, this is the way it works. Like I said, the word cannot grow unless it meets the conditions for it has to grow. Like city people, it's very difficult to see, but... If you come to Alwal, in spite of all the warehouses, there are little patches which is still paddy filled. But you will see it first they do, they till the whole ground, then they take all the weeds off, fill it with water, and then they sow. A little later you can see the green little patch in the middle of this concrete jungle, one green patch. The first thing God does is that he separated them from Egypt. The first thing you want to do if you want the word of God to, you have to make a conscious decision today. I am separating myself from the voices of this world. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's a conscious. No TV. No junk. Information which I need, which is useful. Other than that, I'm cutting everything out. Because these voices dampen your faith. They kill your faith. They are not weed killers. They are faith killers. First thing he... And then he took them into a desert. A place where there was nothing else. And then he fed them with manna. He did that to humble them so that they would know what was in their heart. Because when you are in Egypt and being beaten up and crying, everybody looks so humble and prayerful. He says, that's what you think, right? Let's bring them into the desert. And he will show... I'll show you their true nature. They are the most stiff-necked, arrogant proud set of people who will not listen to the word of God. That's actually what happened to them. He humbled them, allowed you to hunger, and he fed them with manna. Did you see this? Forget Egypt. Feed on this. My word. Obey, believe. Obey. What will happen? Grace will follow. 
Have you ever read in order and says, ah, if man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that is verse 3. And suddenly verse 4, verse 4 is very strange. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot, foot swell this 40 years. And say, Lord, what a serious two verses. And then suddenly you talk about clothes and feet. What does this mean, Lord? Why did this word suddenly pop up out there? When you walk by faith, feeding on the word of God, obeying, believing, obeying, what flows into your life constantly is grace. You know what grace does? It saves you. You know what this means? Your garments did not wear out. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. To using them, he was teaching them. Using a physical example, he was teaching them. They were eating manna, manna, which represents the word of God. And you see their garments? They are righteous by faith. Righteous by faith. Righteous. Forty years they walked. Their righteousness did not wear off because of what they were eating. There is righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. God says, if you walk by faith, you will never question your righteousness because it is coming from the word and not from your works. Physical example there, spiritual example for us. He says, your righteousness, Romans 1.17 says, a righteousness that comes by faith unto faith unto faith. He says, I gave you manna, which you did not know. Your forefathers did not know because I didn't give them the word. I'm going to give you the word in the desert. And a symbol of that, you're going to eat this manna, which is food from heaven. And what will happen as a result? You will teach generations, if you walk by faith, eating and living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you never have to fear death. You never have to fear judgment because there is a righteousness by which you are clothed every day, which comes by faith and faith alone. That's why verse 4 is suddenly strange into the narrative. Because God is trying to teach us something. That's what Romans 1.17 says. For in it, in the gospel, the preaching, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here they are eating. And here the clothes are not getting worn out. They're eating, clothes are not getting. And Balaam comes to curse them. And God says, I see no iniquity in Jacob. They're covered. That God has blessed. They cannot be cursed. Because there is no iniquity in Jacob. That's what God is talking about. Let me ask you this question. What is the first sign of salvation? Romans 5.1. What is the first sign of salvation? Peace with God. Romans 10.15. How shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. Ephesians 6.15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of? What is the first sign? What is the first sign of salvation? Peace with God. Forty years you ate manna. Your feet never were swollen. Because you are walking in peace with God. Both you say, their feet never swollen. And Deuteronomy 8. 
Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. We need to look at it and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me over you? Lord, I wish I had also some manna. Then I don't have to go shopping all the time. God says, idiot, don't you realize what I am trying to talk to you? This is spiritual. You don't have to work for your righteousness. Your righteousness comes by faith and faith alone. Listen, obey, listen, obey. You will be clothed in garments of salvation and in robes of righteousness. And you walk through life, you will always have peace with me. Peace with me. Your feet did not swell. There are two things. You need to understand this. If my foot is swollen, let's say my right foot is swollen, you will see me coming with one shoe. Why? I cannot. That's what Jyoti was a few weeks back. Why? Foot is? Your foot did not swell. Shall we go to Deuteronomy 29, verse 4 and 6? Yet the Lord has not given your heart to perceive, eyes to see, ears to hear to this very day. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not. There's two things here. One, your feet did not swell. If your feet had swollen, your sandals is off. Neither did your feet swell. Neither did your sandals wear out. 40 years. You walked in peace with me. Two things. One, your feet did not swell. Another, your sandals did not wear out. What does it mean? He says, you know, I robed you in righteousness and I had peace with you. And he says, but, yeah, go back, go back. God has not given your heart to perceive these things. You're still asking for, oh, we wish you in Egypt there was manna. No, there was meat, there was kakadi, there was cucumber, there was leeks. Oh, how we sat around the flesh pot. That's exactly what people do. Right after church, listening to all this word, it says, oh, today is the only day I can go shopping. Gone. Or go sit before that idiot box. Word is gone, everything. God says, you see why you don't have a mind to see or heart to believe or eyes to see? You know why you read the word, word and you finally give it up because you are understanding nothing? Because you say, inside is the altar of Baal. You are not understanding the purpose of separation and you refuse to be separated. You have already brought out your own theology that I can manage with the world and with the word. God says, nobody has managed Last Sunday I told you what it took for that gospel message to come through the first man, the gospel of the kingdom. 30 years or more or less in the wilderness eating locusts and honey so that when he comes, the word would be absolutely untouched by the world in which he lived. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. He looks strange man in the leather belt and camel coat, hair coat and he stood there and a message and crowds were going into the wilderness because the man and the message had become one. One message, that's all. And when they came to repent, he says, you brood of wipers, why do you come to repent? Do the works that go with repentance. They said, what should we do? You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. But he said, I cannot give you salvation. There is one coming after me. I can only bring you thus far, repentance from dead works. The one who comes after me, his thongs of his sandals are not worthy to untie. But he is the one who shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Grace will come only through him. I cannot give you grace. I can take you thus far, the doorway of repentance. But grace is he. So John 1.17 says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the problem. The gospel messes you up inside because you realize 
you are nothing and God is everything. You see, this was the gospel that was preached to them. This was the gospel that was preached to them. Hebrews 4 and verse 2. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with What is the gospel they were hearing every day from their manna came? They ate it and they walked. The feet were not swelling. The sandals were not wearing out. The garments never wore out. That They were a living, walking gospel. The thing is that the manna, the anointing started touching their body. There was none ill among them, none feeble among them. It touched their clothes. The clothes never wore out. From their leg, it touched their sandals. The sandals never wore out, but it did not go inside. They wasted away in their soul. It worked outward. It didn't work inward. And you see the same fallacy happening in the world with the prosperity gospel. They are prospering outside and they will say, look at my cards and look at my money, look at my house. Inward, they are rotting. And they have to come to the end of their life to say, I confess, I am sorry, I made a mistake in my theology. How many fell because of your theology? That confession on one little five minute clip is not enough. You need to have full page advertisement on every paper in the country you preach saying, I apologize, I took you the wrong way. The gospel was the gospel of grace, not the gospel of mammon. That's where we struggle. Because the greatest, greatest deception is you have taken faith. Instead of connecting you to the room of grace, God's throne room of grace, It connected to you on what this world runs. When grace flows into your life, God will give you money. But money will be always under your feet. It will never control you. You will not take decisions which money made you do. I always ask these people, if you did not have this money, you are a child of God, you got grace, everything. But let me ask you this question. If you did not have money, would you make that decision? Uh, No. I said, so... You did not take a decision according to God's will. You took a decision because of the power money gave you. It's as simple as that. Because money money makes you automatically independent of God. That does not mean God doesn't want to give you money. God wants you to be dependent upon God. One hundred percent that he can pour out money into your life, you will just give it away. Because it doesn't bind you anymore. You understand the purpose of money. But the minute money comes into your hand and your heart is not fully surrendered, what happens? You start making decisions with your money, then he will always justify you. God gave me a breakthrough, this one gave me a breakthrough, that one gave me a breakthrough. That's exactly what Jonah said. I went down to Joppa, there was a ship waiting for me right at that time and I found one berth is empty. I had enough money and I went down, I went down, I went down, but you're running away from God. You're not running towards God. You're running away from God and your money is opening doors for you to go further away from God and not bringing you closer to God. Jonah, be careful. Be careful. He's always remember, your education should not take you further away from God. It should take you closer to God. Oh, you have skills. You all pride about your language in English. Have you used English to study the Bible? Or whichever language you are good in. Where has education led the Western Christian world? They have made them into sons of Belial. 
The very education. Colleges were started, universities that were started with Puritan dollars. With conservative dollars have become hotbeds of liberalism today. Where God is out, the word of God is out, we will not allow you to speak. How did it happen that way? Because we made two altars at the same time. That's where it started. We started building up without pulling down. God says change. Go back to the ancient paths. Go back. Go back. Because in today's church, Laodicea, money has replaced grace. Garments of self-righteousness has replaced garments of salvation. And you see that creeping even in Joshua's time. Do you realize? Now you understand what garment means. You understand what garment means in the Old Testament. Garment means in the new covenant, the physical and the spiritual. Right? Now look in Joshua chapter 7, why they were defeated. Chapter 7. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful ah, Babylonian garment. Not the garment which God has given you. He has robed you, which had nothing to do with you. This is not your work. No human garment will last these many years. Forty years this garment has lasted. You know this is the work of God and word. But you were entrusted in a worldly garment. A garment of self-righteousness. So you picked that garment. And a wedge of God. Grace has brought you down. Grace has brought the walls down. Now you don't want grace. You want gold. Did you see? A Babylonian garment. I always looked at them and said, why is it written like that? Babylonian garment, silver and gold. Silver and gold I understand. But why did you put the Babylonian garment over there? Lord God said, I will tell you one day. And this morning he told me, this is the reason I put it over there. You understand what garment means in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Here is somebody of the new generation trying to work out his own salvation with his own garments. God says that is not allowed in the kingdom. The only work that is accepted is the work of Christ and what he covers you with. And here is a one trying to take a worldly garment. That is the king. How do we come to the house of God today? How did we come to the house of God today? What are we covered with today? Put it all out. You cannot approach the God. That is the mystery of David dancing before the ark. The reason Michal looked at him with contempt was not because he danced. That's one line. The reason is you unrobed yourself before your handmaidens. But why did he unrobe himself? Because when he was going before the ark, the ark was coming to Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Jesus Christ. He was dressed in his royal robes. But he said, Lord, in his heart, there can be only one king. There can't be two kings. He took his royal robes and said, you alone are king or lord. Today ask yourself, how did you come dressed? With your intellectualism? With your educational degrees? With your experience? Or did you have come in humility by saying, Lord, I come by mercy and by grace, by your work alone. God says, you will hear. You will understand. You will know. And grace will follow, fall into your life. Flow into your life. There is no other way man can go before God. That's why he says your righteousness is like filthy rags. It doesn't matter how many years I have been in the ministry. How many meetings I have taken. It's irrelevant before God when I go to God. Square one. How did you come the first day? That's the way you come today. All the days of your life. No other robe. That's what God is asking. That's why no one boasts. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says you are saved by grace through faith that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. No man can boast. 
before God. Revelation 3.17 And then we'll go to communion. Because you say, <laughs> you say, that's your confession. What's your confession? I believe for a car. I believe because you say I am rich. What your heart believes? What you speak? What did you believe God for? Grace? Do you believe God for grace? He told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Lord, three times, God says, no need. Grace is sufficient. Whatever you go through, my grace is more than enough. And if grace includes a car, car will come. Don't worry, I am not negating any. I don't believe in a gospel of poverty. Please don't misunderstand me. But I do believe in the gospel. Its actual core is changed. I do have issues with it. Because I see everywhere servants of God struggling now. Because they started wrong. They have reached this point. They don't know how to go back. They don't know how to go back. They are stuck. That's why I say you build your life. You build your ministry. You build your church. Be humble enough to go back and break foundations which are wrong. And rebuild all over again. It's worth it in eternity. Don't worry what people will say. Some may call you fool, some may will say he's obedient. It doesn't matter the opinion of people. The only opinion that will matter is the opinion of God. That's the only opinion that will matter. Nothing else. And we should have the guts and the boldness to say, Lord, you have spoken and I stand on it. And I will always say, if I don't understand something, I will simply go by the letter of it. And it doesn't matter, 999 churches are going by another way. I will still stand because I would rather err on the side of being a little hard than being a little liberal. So when I tell women, you want to pray or prophecy, cover. I mean it, cover. And the churches in the West, including the good churches, went wrong in that one little thing. If for the past 50 years, every church in America had told, this is God's order. It's got nothing to do with equality or rights. When you come over here, cover. They wouldn't be struggling like today where the woman is riding the beast. Because they went wrong. And now even godly pastors don't have the courage to say, we went wrong. They're stuck like Chuck over there. You take one thing out, you do it at your peril. It will not show when you are taking it off. 50 years down the line, you will realize another spirit has risen and taken over the woman. And woman is not to be fault. You have to be at fault because you took the rules of God away and made concessions to get people. You allowed culture to define what was happening inside the church and not the word of God to define what was happening inside the church. Now, can you preach any of these things? Now, forget, oh my gosh, forget about covering. You cannot utter the woman name, gender, woman. You can say man, you can say anything. But they are all like what you call protected species. Injured, endangered. Where did we reach this place? This has got to do with rights? This has got to do with equality? No. This has got to do with order. It's got to do with order. It's got to do with order. So you have a set of people, churches are full, but they have no clue where they are going. Because foundations were totally wrong. I believed, therefore, I spoke. I believed, therefore, I spoke. Do you believe? This 
It's one thing I keep telling my young men everywhere. The breakthrough in my life was not because of my studies. The breakthrough was the day I knelt before this book and said, Lord, I don't understand. But I receive it. Whatever you say is okay with me. I'm willing to lose everything for this. Because if this is true, if this is true, then I will have, like Pastor Carter said, the whole deal. But if this is not true, then I'm not getting into this. I'm not getting into this. But if this is true, you cannot say one part is true and the other part is not. Everything has to be true. Right? First in Genesis 1-1, they questioned creation. That's how Darwin came. Then a little down there, they questioned marriage. Now they question gender. Did you see? Because you didn't stand firm on Genesis 1-1. Then you gave way to Genesis 1-26 and 27. Now you are giving in everywhere. Because this is the price you will pay for compromise. With compromise you can gather a crowd. At the cost of God. And maybe eternity. Shall we have, shall we come for communion? I would request the elders to come. Pastor Vijay, come lead us. Pastor Vijay is an excellent math teacher. So he will put it across beautifully. If your answer is wrong, then go back the steps. Where did I go wrong? Because God's ways are like math. It's perfect. You don't go wrong with the answer. What is the answer? If my step one, step two, step three are all right, what is that? My garments will not wear off. My feet will not swell. And my footwear, my sandals will not wear out. And if my sandals are worn out, meaning I'm losing peace, and I'm always questioning my salvation, not growing in my salvation, go back. Check your steps. Nobody should die unsure where you are going after Jesus died and rose from the dead. Whole covenant, we can still give excuse. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. And we come to you in the light of the word we have heard. I pray, Father, you will work through repentance in our life every time you speak to us. Give us that gift of repentance, Lord. And that faith to turn towards you every time. Even when we hear unpleasant things. Things that may cost us a lot to change. Cost us loss of faith, loss of money, maybe loss of relationships. But I pray, Father, when we come to the table, we look at the price you paid for our salvation. It's your body. It's your blood that we are partaking today. Elements of it by faith. That it brings healing. That awakens and quickens our inner man. And then gives us the hope of eternal life. Let it bring healing, Lord, today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. King of my life. Oh
we come to the conclusion of today's service i just want to look at one more verse before we close can i have second peter chapter 2 and verse 15 they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of balaam the son of beor who loved the wages of unrighteousness Balaam was a seer, a prophet who heard from God and who heard from the occult. When the object of your faith is not grace, but mammon, you and I go the way of Balaam. The object of our faith is grace, the power of God. And if you let money replace grace we have gone his way this is how compromise comes and how balam that's why balam is mentioned three times if i'm right in peter jude and in revelation yeah revelation three times balam a false prophet actually a guy who died under judgment is mentioned as warnings to us in the last days how did he compromise israel he couldn't curse israel so he came and told the king balak you need to do only one thing the god will deliver them only thing is that release the moabite women on them that's where compromise begins the first they will tell you come and partake of our festival right then they will say let us eat because you went for the festival now you cannot eat so you eat then they will say let us dance it's one step to another to another it releases but who is moab moab is the seed of a righteous man and a unrighteous girl and the righteous man had to be made drunk before this union could take place understand that righteous people who were saved are being made drunk by the gospel of the world so they are willing now to compromise understand that that's what you hear and i will not change the message i will not change the message because he did not die for mammon he died for your and my soul and he said seek my kingdom my righteousness these things which you need in life it will be added and the divine power of god will give us everything that pertains to life and to godliness i will put your nose forward towards grace and not towards mammon when i talk these things we are not talking of degrading women we are talking of the spirit that has taken over a whole set of them that's what you are talking about because you need to understand when israel was in a very critical juncture he raised a man called barak and he told barak you go fight sisera 600 chariots none of it matters you go fight he went to deborah and he said what should i do deborah said you go you will win he said i will not go unless you come with me and she said something this is your job this is what you are supposed to do and if you don't do it the way god is directing you the glory will belong to her that's how glory was lost and this light happened during the time of barak there and barak here in the 8 years of barak obama he brought this into the world 
that barak and this barak. He changed laws, he changed rules, he changed everything because he was an incredibly compromised man. In eight years, the way a nation has slid down, it's impossible to rescue it unless the hand of God comes upon it because what they do is what happens in the rest of the world. Exactly what happened. He said, it's glory. It's your glory. This is your job. This is your duty. This has got nothing to do with me. This has got to do with you because God has his order. Every day I get questions now from people who are listening. Say, they call me, get my number, say, pastor, ladies will call. Should a woman teach? I said, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Should a woman cover her head? I said, what does the Bible say? No, it says hair is given as a covering. I said, is that what exactly it means? Doesn't it talk about glory? Christ reveals the glory of Father. Man reveals the glory of Christ. And man reveals the glory of, woman reveals the glory of, in the house of God, whose glory? So if I cover my head, I am covering the glory of God, of Christ. A woman uncovers her head, she is glorifying her man in the presence of Christ. God says, no, only my son receives glory in this house. I said, it's got to do with glory. It's got not to do with, so they will go. What they will do, they will go to Greek, as if God gave the word and a parallel Greek um, culture book also along with that. No, this was Greek culture, Corinthian culture. Who told you? Who told you this? Even great, wonderful, nice, godly pastors know this was... Who told you this? If it is culture, why does God have to say because of the angels? What has angels got to do with culture? Should a woman teach, he goes straight back all to the beginning. He says, Adam was not deceived. He was. Why do you have to bring Adam and Eve into? There was no teaching class then. He's talking about order. Talking about order. He said, this is God's order. This is God. They will say Galatians. Wait a minute. Galatians is talking about inheritance. He says, if everybody goes under order, it is my son who is glorified. And that man who brought glory to me, the woman who brought glory to me, will share equally in inheritance. It's got to do with inheritance. And inheritance is connected with how you walk in God's appointed order. Because there was his anointed cherub, anointed above every when he broke God's order, God cast him down because he tried to take God's glory. It's got to do with glory. That's why God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. And it's it's natural. He's the creator. We only reflect his glory. And the minute I step out of order, his glory did not. So you have a chapter called Deborah. And nothing is mentioned about Barak over there. Why? Because that was the day God did not receive glory. That was the day because a man went out of order. A woman received glory. God should have received glory. God can receive glory only when God's created order comes into being. Then God would have received glory. So be careful. This is not about civil rights and human rights and gender rights. This is about the only thing that is right. That is God. Let God be right and every man be a liar. Understand this young girl sitting over there. You go to universities. I will tell you. Please don't pick English literature. Don't pick history. Don't pick philosophy. Go pick science. You are safe. Boys and girls. Don't get into stuff that will mess your head up. 
mess you. You start questioning your faith. You will start because that's how they begin everywhere. Don't even dare play with your soul. Most dangerous places on earth are universities. They are soul killers. They are not after your mind. They are after your soul. Understand that. Pick nice, safe places and study there. Don't look for this, how many NAC, how many stars and all. One day when you die, you will not have any stars. Okay, seriously. I'm not joking, seriously. Being in all these places, know all these theories. Derrida and Lacan and all, you won't even know who these are. These are guys who frame deconstruction. God constructs their own deconstruction. That is where all these things started. I, I broke my teeth on Derrida. And I know what deconstruction is, how they use these theories. And I rejected those theories, so I am okay. They gave me an E, but I refused that theory. Because I wrote the reason why communism fell on one of my papers was that communism had the cross, they did not have Christ. Capitalism has Christ and doesn't have the cross. They were furious. But I knew I was right. See, when you have a cross... And you don't have Christ. You want socialism. But you will kill all those who oppose you because you don't have Christ. But when you have Christ and when you don't have the cross, you will see first you are full before you feed your neighbor. That's what capitalism does. So full and then take our tidbits here all. India take 50 million. Bangladesh take 50 million. You are obese and dying of overeating. That is capitalism. Christ, no cross. The other side, cross, no Christ. Therefore they kill. Don't get into all that. Pick some simple subject. Be simple people and live simply. <laughs> Shall we pray? I love you children. Okay. Father God, we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you. This is another generation standing before thee, Lord. A generation. Let this be like the Joshua generation. Who possessed the land. I pray this will be a generation that will possess your promises. And I pray among them, let there be no Akhan, Lord. That the spirit of Akhan will not move in this generation that is standing in your presence today. They will trample down mammon. The God of peace will strengthen them that they will put Satan under their feet. They will walk in faith that they are robed in your righteousness. And never our righteousness. That we will not boast about our works. If we boast, we will boast about you. Peace with you, Lord. Peace with you. Let us understand, O Lord, what faith is all about. It is that gives us access to the very throne room of grace. Grace for every need, everyone here standing will face every day of their life. And even that great apostle was told, My grace is sufficient for thee. None of us need anything more than that, Lord. It is sufficient for us. And I pray, Father, today, faith will arise in each one of us. We will go back home and we will devote our days to your word, to meditate upon your word until it sinks into our heart and comes out of our mouth. And we walk in obedience to what we have heard, read, and understood so that you can make that way for us through the waters and through the fire and you can look down from heaven and say, 
these are my people. And I am not ashamed to call them my people. And to be known as their God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in your name. May they go through this month receiving your victory in their lives. Plead the blood of Jesus. Protect them. Keep them. In all their ways, guard them, Lord. Guard us, Lord. Thank you, Father. By faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And with our lips and from our heart, we confess, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.